0: Mind, body, spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called Extremely Frightening and Upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple+. Plus.
1: Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about, all from the comfort of your home? at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network. Welcome to Development Hell. For every horror movie that hits VOD, countless others end up DOA. Development hell is the podcast dedicated to unearthing these cursed horror productions. We're going to find out what went wrong, and then decide if these titles still stand a shot at the green light. I am your host, Josh Korngut. I am the managing editor of Dread Central. I am also a filmmaker in Toronto, Canada. This podcast is a proud member of the Dread Podcast Network. Hi everybody and welcome back to a brand new episode of Development Hell. Today we are discussing the upcoming big budget theatrical adaptation of Salem's Lot. Uh, This episode, we're going to talk about Salem's Lot, the novel, the 1979 miniseries, and what the hell is going on with this upcoming reboot, I want to know. We are joined by a very special guest, Jen Adams. Uh, You might know Jen from writing for Dread Central, Bloody Disgusting, and hosting the essential horror podcasts Psychoanalysis and The Losers Club. Jen, how's it going? It's
2: going great. How are you?
1: I'm doing good. Thank you so much for joining me. Could you introduce yourself? to the Development hell audience.
2: Yes, hello, my name is Jen Adams. And yes, I'm a writer and podcaster. And I often say Stephen King is my favorite person I've never met. So I will talk about him till the end of time. And I love this book, and I'm very, very excited to talk about the uh, upcoming adaptation-ish, question mark? Ish,
1: question mark, <laughs> 2020 question mark. Right. I'm very lucky to have you here today because you are very well-versed in the landscape of Stephen King. <laughs> uh, we're getting some of our information today from The Hollywood Reporter and from Deadline. Jen, would it be okay if I started off by giving just like a brief seminar on Salem's Law, the novel? Absolutely. So Salem's Law, an early Stephen King book, published, I believe, 1975. I think it's actually his second book. So his second
2: published book. A yeah. Second
1: published book. So I guess that's second just to Carrie.
2: Carrie. Yeah, I think he wrote about three before that that would end up being Bachman books later. Oh,
1: what were the three previous?
2: Um, I believe, uh, I might get one of these wrong, but I believe I know Rage and I know, I think Roadwork and The Long Wall, but it might be The Running Man mm-hmm. substituted for Roadwork.
1: Like yeah. Incel Trilogy. Exactly. <laughs> gotta yes, get into that. Yes,
2: his Angry Young Men
1: <laughs> Yeah. Well, this book revolves around a writer by the name of Ben Mears. This is a guy that returns to a town named Jerusalem's Lot, uh, shortened for Salem's Lot in Maine. And he lived there, I believe, when he was just a child for a couple of years. And at that time, I think he discovered something like very disturbing, or that's his memory anyways, in one of the houses in town that he becomes obsessed with, and then revisits this town later in life to write about it. But uh oh, the town is infested with vampires.
3: Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: this story was revisited a couple of times on page. There's also the short story Jerusalem's Lot, which I think was in Night Shift. And this is something mm-hmm. I learned today. One for the Road, I think also in Night Shift. Mm-hmm. I'm very familiar with Jerusalem's Lot. I've read it, but I've not read One for the Road. I'm assuming you're familiar.
0: Oh, yes,
2: One for the Road is great. I actually prefer One for the Road to Jerusalem's Lot. Um, Although I will say, if you've seen Chapel Wait, that was an adaptation of Jerusalem's Lot, the short story with Adrian Brody. I was very pleasantly surprised by that. I thought it was great. Um, But yeah, uh, One for the Road is like one of those classic King stories of like two old codgers who are like in a main general store and a snowstorm hits and a family is driving through town. And they have taken a wrong turn through Salem's Lot, which is now essentially just home to vampires. It's like a, a ghost town, cool. and um, terror ensues. So it is—it's a great short story. And I'm surprised that it hasn't been—it hasn't gotten like a big adaptation, but it has gotten a lot of Dollar Baby adaptations. I think it has been on that list for a while.
1: Cool. Okay, so it's Snow King. I love Snow King. Oh, it is Snow
2: King. Snow horror is one of my (laughs) favorite things in the world. Yes, it is very snowy. The vampire, the snow... The Vampires in mm-hmm. the Snow, it's great. It's not quite 30 Days of Night, but it is also delightful. So,
1: what is, uh, some, some, There's so much good Stephen King in the Snow. You've got Misery, you've mm-hmm. got um, The uh, Shining, The Shining, um, mm-hmm. The Dead Zone.
2: Yep, Dreamcatcher. Dream Dream yeah, oh
1: good. yeah, Storm <laughs> of the Century. Oh my god, century, it keeps going, yep. mm-hmm. it keeps going. Okay, but back to Salem's Lot, which <laughs> isn't necessarily very snowy. Um, mm-hmm. Question for you, what was your first encounter with this book? When, where did Did you first meet it?
2: Um, Well, I grew up looking at it on my dad's shelf and we had the paperback um, and it was like one of those old vintage paperbacks where the cover is all black and it's got like the imprint of a vampire. And then the only color on it was the blood coming, dripping from the kid's fangs. Um, And so I was really interested in it. And then I read and once I had already kind of decided Stephen King was like the thing, um, I picked it up, and I started reading it, and I got to the part, which is one of the very first things that happens where Susan and Ben are meeting in the park, and they're talking about air dance, and I was like, this is so 70s, <laughs> I cannot do this, and so I just put it away, mm. um, and then years later, I went back once I read a lot more King and just fell in love with it. It is one of, I put it in my top 10, I think it's one of my favorites of his books.
1: Wow, I I think it's in my top Sometimes it's my number one novel, and I think it's like a crazy thing to say because there's so many. Mm -hmm. Um, It's my
2: husband's favorite, too. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. And I was like, when we started dating, um, that was how I knew he liked me is because he started listening to it, uh, the audio book on the way to and Mm -hmm. from our date, so...
1: I love that's so <laughs> romantic and spooky was it the was date crazy. by the lake. And It was
2: not. Unfortunately, it was not by the lake.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> a little God. bit
2: more landlocked here. But... <laughs>
1: <laughs> when they were talking about it, I was rewatching the miniseries today, and there's a point where they are like, where should we go on our date? Like a movie somewhere? The lake. And I the was like, lake. oh, that's <laughs> so horny. <laughs> I
3: know.
1: Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I love this book, too. I encountered it a little bit later in life. It was one of the later of the Stephen King books that I've actually read, it was not in order. Um, And I fell in love with it. I find it to be so moody, and Mm -hmm. ultimately just so scary. And I think that's what I'm looking for in movies and in TV. And in books, I'm just like, always chasing the scare. And it's surprisingly difficult to find. Yeah. And this really did it reading it and listening to the audiobook. Like I remember being like, this is a fucking scary story and I love it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you, do, first of all, do you agree? Do you find it to be scary?
2: Oh, absolutely. I do. And I find it overtly scary too, mm. which is something that I really like about vintage King, you know, like as much as I love everything, he's not everything, but I love all stages of his career. Like there, are, there are gems in every period of his writing. But I find certain phases to be a lot less scary and more introspective or more, like, dramatic or more emotional. And the Vintage King stuff, that really early stuff, I find really scary. Like, we've got The Shining and Salem's Lot and Carrie and Firestarter, which is maybe not so scary. But it's, like, it's a really easy scariness to kind of, I don't know, access, you know? Mm -hmm. like they're vampires and they're very scary vampires and they will get you. And there's a lot of like creeping in the night. There's a lot of darkness. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, there's like the darkness of the town itself and how some of these people are very good people. And some of them are really awful and some of them don't mean to be awful, but they just kind of, do awful things and so there's that darkness there too so it really hits on a lot of different levels and then there's the terror of losing a child and
3: it's
2: just it's it really hits on all levels and it's so succinct too you know it's not like i i want to say it's around 400 pages like it's not one of his longest books and it really kind of not to be (laughs) obnoxiously punny but it really goes for the jugular you know Mm. and it just kind of languishes around and all the blood that's spurting out and i just yes. eat it up every time
1: okay well that's beautiful thank you for that <laughs> um uh and yeah it does do the the terror of the small town and like the terror mm-hmm. like the terror of the human beings in these small towns that
3: yeah the human you know, monsters yeah. yeah
1: it went full hog on that like mm-hmm. balls to the walls on that and you can feel him starting to really play with that here mm-hmm. um, but it feels a, a little bit more subtle. Yeah. And a little bit more serious. It felt, mm-hmm. it felt, mm, I was thinking about the book today compared to some of his later books, and I feel like he was trying, maybe trying to be more literary early on before he was really comfortable in his own voice. Mm-hmm. And I find this to be very literary. Um, yeah. I find it to be really scary too. Um, there's something about that, the whole mm, story of the Martson House and what Ben Mears saw or what he thinks he saw there as a child and who Hubie Marston was. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, cause I'm dumb and confused. Can you tell us a little <laughs> bit about like the Marston house history, what Ben saw there and like who Hubie was?
2: Yes. So Hubie Marston is kind of a, I don't know. I, he's like a prohibition era, bad guy, gangster kind of, I get He's the kind of guy who would have like a suite in The Shining, the Overlook Hotel. (laughs) A lot of money. He's made it through um, nefarious means, some just illegal, but there's also hints of like some black magic I'm saying in quotation marks um, or some kind of like demonic deals with uh, darker entities or something. He's gotten his money and his power through um, bad means. And, So he is just kind of this malevolent force that lives in this house and um, kind of the house becomes kind of infused with his, uh, his evil essence. And in that way, it kind of becomes a magnet for other kind of evil or nefarious people. You know, it's kind of like a pole that attracts. And so when Ben Mears is a kid, like this is the, I'm blanking a little bit on where the timelines of this um, line up. I believe that Hubie Marston was already dead by the time Ben Mears has gotten to the house. But Hubie Marston, he and his wife, they end up dying in what looks like a murder-suicide. They find a whole bunch of shit. Find a whole bunch of, like, shit and I think money and, like, I don't know, just junk in the house. It's the super old, really creepy, awesome house, like, picturing the psycho house. Um, and so that becomes like the local boogeyman house, uh, like the Myers house in the town. And so Mm -hmm. kids are always daring each other to go up and steal something from inside or just prove that you've been inside in some way. And so Ben Mears trying to be cool with the cool kids in town and walks in and sees Hubie Marston hanging from the banister, I believe Mm -hmm. in the living room and which is where he died. And so he essentially sees the ghost of Hubie Marston and the 2004 miniseries plays with this in some interesting ways, but so this becomes like this this really nightmarish moment that kind of haunts Ben mirrors for into adulthood, and that is what's kind of drawn him back to the town.
1: Mm-hmm. I love how this is an early version of Stephen King playing with an evil property. Yes, and it, yes. yeah, and it's scary. Mm-hmm. And I think we yeah. like were hard on him as a culture for like making inanimate objects, spooky yeah Um, yeah. but it it's so scary the way that he does it it's so um unique and haunting and i I just love the whole marston house sort of origins i don't remember if it was in the book or if it was in the miniseries or if i literally just invented it but was he like was there like stuff about child abuse associated with hubie
2: Wiki, I think so. Um, the 2004 miniseries hints on that a lot. I don't remember anything overt other than there may have been some kind of child sacrifice with the.
1: Oh, my God. Um,
2: so, yeah, I mean, yes, yes. <laughs> but I don't think he was necessarily a child predator. I mm-hmm. think that was just part of his overall evil. And, you know, kids may have been what was called for in whatever recipe he was cooking up for his. But what I remember, what I recall is, um, and it's been a couple of years since I've reread it, but that he's just kind of an evil man. Now, the two thousand four adaptation specifically kind of says he's a child murderer, and kind of hints that maybe there was something more darker than if there is something darker than child murder, but there was another element to that that may be too dark for us to talk about. Uh,
1: that'd be a cool, um, like, spinoff, like some, like a Marston. I don't know origin I film. I mean, yeah. yeah, I
2: would watch that. I right. See, I mean, not to jump ahead, but I mean, I, I might want that more than a remake. You know, mm-hmm.
1: like, something a little bit different, but playing with it. Yeah, yeah. kind of giving a uh, Pet Cemetery Bloodlines question mark energy. So yeah,
2: yeah. Well, and what I think is interesting too, because um, you know that did become the joke is like, oh, a haunted lamp. You know. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that a lot of times is um, a commentary given by people who don't spend a whole lot of time reading king you know and mm-hmm. i don't need to say that as a jerk but like because no, it's, it's the the lamp is the focal point for so many other things like there's always more to that story like it's not a haunted car it's a friendship that's falling apart and the haunted yeah. car is the <laughs> vehicle to explore <gasps> that you know mm-hmm.
1: except for think- uncle Otto's truck. Pretty sure that Ooh. was just a haunted car.
2: <laughs> that story, I forgot that about that. That story is awesome.
1: I love it's it. So it's scary. so oh fucking Woo! good and simple. And that's why I like Stephen King so much.
2: Exactly, me too. I, he can mm-hmm. go deep and he can just keep it simple and still scare the shit out of you. I'm course.
1: also like a fan of how anti-Hollywood it is to murder children. And he's <laughs> just yes. not afraid to do that. And I love that for him. Um, I know. The Glick deaths are so Ooh. scary mm-hmm. in the book, not in the miniseries. Yeah.
3: Um,
1: but that's another thing that I think makes this specifically scary. And the last thing I want to bring on board to this, like, why is this novel scary section is there's two minor characters. You're going to have to help me out with their names. The, the mm-hmm. two that are having the affair, Fred Willard oh, yeah. and mm-hmm. Lady. Bonnie,
2: Bonnie mm-hmm. is... Um, let me, hold on. Oh, let me look it up. Bo- I know Bonnie is the woman and.
1: Uh-huh. Cody,
2: I can't remember exactly what their names are, but yes, they are
1: uh, I remember that being really frightening when I read the book for the first time like in in the most quintessential Stephen King cruelty sort of way Um, will you sort of fill us in for people that maybe don't know about the subplot? Yes,
2: I will yes, so Bonnie is a um, bored housewife and Mm -hmm. she has been um Sleeping with the younger, um, I believe he's the cable man or the tele- telephone repairman. Something he makes frequent visits, and they're they're hooking up while her husband, who is this big burly man about town, lots of shotguns kind of guy, is out. Um, and uh, he she he finds out that she is sleeping around, and they have a big confrontation. And it, it is horrific, like yeah. we, yeah. Um, and this is, it's horrific at a time when we were not talking about intimate partner violence the way we are now. Um, and, and I don't say that to say it's, it doesn't age well because it does, it is very, it shows how cruel and how horrific that kind of stuff is. But so he, um, I don't want to spoil exactly what happens, but he threatens to kill Cody, who is the, uh, the other man and um, puts a shotgun in his mouth too. Like he, he honestly believes he's about to die and then gives him the chance to get out of town. And that's when he meets the vampires. Um, And then, and you would think that that is the most terrific part of the scene, but what is later is that he quote unquote punishes Bonnie.
3: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: And we don't get a lot of the specifics of that, but we get enough to understand how awful it is. And yes, it is, it is a terrifying scene.
1: Yeah. it's After all these years, it's one of the scenes that really stick with me most Mm -hmm. in this book. And I think it just shows how strong King is at characters, Yep, which Mm -hmm. I think is a smooth transition (laughs) to talking a little bit about the characters in this book. Uh, I think it was offline. We were sort of um, talking shit about Ben Mears. (laughs) So I want to start there. Ben Mears, you know, he's our antagonist he kind of feels like a king sort of um what's a good word like transplant in a way He's like this young hunky writer yeah he's Um, our first writer
2: protagonist in king's dominion i mean it's the
1: second book
2: exactly yeah he didn't waste too much time
1: (laughs) yeah but no no, you're right
2: tommy ross writes a poem so
1: oh uh, right but
2: it's not his job sorry That's me splitting
1: hairs. (laughs) (laughs) It starts starts fast. So um, who's Ben? How do you feel about Ben? Mm,
2: uh, He's fine. He is, I think, one of the least interesting characters in this book. There's nothing wrong with him. Um, I think he's uh, fine. He is a pretty clear King parallel. Um, And I know in interviews he's kind of talked about, or maybe it was a forward to a novel he's talked about writing this book and he's talked about like Ben Mears wanting to become braver and wanting to become more. And I do think that he kind of carries the quartet towards the end of the story. Um, but he just is, he's kind of milk toast, you know, he's oh, a yeah. writer. He has recently lost his wife, Miranda in a motorcycle accident. So he's also kind of driven back from driven back to Salem's a lot by this house. But a lot of it is to kind of have, A project i think to deal with this grief over miranda and he Mm -hmm. starts dating susan norton and i think that is interesting because of susan norton's issues with her mother not necessarily because of ben Ben, ben's fine ben does what you want him to do but he is the least interesting main character you know he's like a a Uh, stuffed blue chambray work shirt i guess
1: uh, (laughs) ouch i totally agree um considering how much I love this book, the two leads kind of, in my opinion, are snorefests. Yeah, Susan yeah. is to me, definitely not that interesting. I mean, yes, he suffers when it comes to writing his women characters often, but Susan feels especially like, I don't know, mousy and kind of hard to, kind of hard to get into. How do you feel about Susan? Poor Susan.
2: Um, I like her. She is, you know, there are a lot of King female characters that I really love and she's, I mean, she's in the middle of the ones I love and the ones that I really don't like. Mm -hmm. I I do. I always love a good King Smackdown scene, you know, and she has a really great argument with her mother. And there's this really interesting, um, you know, she's wanting to break free and she's wanting to date who she wants and not, like, get sucked into this, like stereotypical Salem's a lot. She's not wanting to become her mother, essentially. Mm -hmm. Her mother is really trying to tighten her grip on her daughter. And I find that really interesting. And that's about it. And (laughs) I also, you know, there's, uh, she is kind of, she's not a factor in the end of the book too, you know? So I think she kind of, she comes in, she makes her, her entrance. She talks about her art and then she kind of skidaddles, you know? So, um,
1: I mean there's an archetype or sort of dual archetypes in this book that i always find really fascinating and that's um straker and barlow so Mm -hmm. barlow is our main antagonist he's the sort of ancient vampire um nosferatu dracula type and straker is i think mostly human um assistant and Mm -hmm. it's giving renfield dracula energy mm-hmm. and, and also a little I mean it's done really well in Fright Night as well.
3: I was just going to
1: say yes. <laughs> yeah. And I always find it to be so gay and so mm-hmm. um not just gay but like male homosexual dynamic gay mm-hmm. in a way that like we really fear um Sort of male couples, and they're always sort of in the shadow of night doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And there's also a sense of like tragedy between them. Mm-hmm. And like love is definitely there in all three of the stories that we're talking about, mm-hmm. but it's like this toxic, horrible love that like leads to so much death. And I'm wondering if, how, do you think I'm reaching when it comes to this queerness of these archetypes? And did you feel it a little bit in this story?
2: Um, I don't think you're reaching at all. I will say as a straight person, I don't always pick up. So I did not pick up on any queerness on my first reads, but now I can definitely see it. And there's, especially for a novel written in 1975 or published in 1975, I should say, um, there is a kind of stereotypical queerness um, you know, they they own an antique store. I was you know, gonna say they are very area You know, and I don't, uh-huh. I don't personally find it like a negative stereotype. You might disagree with me on that, and I would, um, you know, tend to be, go with your understanding of it. But um, yeah, there is like it's like a dark devotion to mm. these two characters, and I really enjoy that. You know, I've never been a huge fan of Renfield and Dracula together because there's so so much dominance from dracula and i find like with barlow and straker it seems to be much more of a partnership like jerry and i'm blanking on his dreamy melty uh carpenter but that's the vibe that i i get a little bit more than renfield and drac and uh, dracula you know
1: it's so funny that you bring up the idea of the dominant and the submissive Mm -hmm. um you're right when it comes to the dracula story it's it's so um hardline that it is kind of like maybe not that interesting but Mm -hmm. i do find that that sort of top and bottom dynamic does exist in fright night and in you know salem's lot and these other stories but in a little bit more of a nuanced way and i think Mm -hmm. that's sort of another reason why i feel this queerness within those archetypes because we're also seeing these sort of um classical gay relationship um roles you Mm -hmm. know these heteronormative roles that we um often fall into or or want to fall into Mm -hmm. and often that means one partner is the dominant partner and one partner is submissive mm-hmm. and i see it here and i just find it so interesting and yeah antiques gays love antiques yeah and why
3: yeah. not yeah <laughs> well and what <laughs> i think is
2: interesting what i love so much about Fr- i mean there are a million things i love about fright night it's one of my all-time favorite movies um mm-hmm. but what i love about straker that i don't necessarily like so much about renfield is that i feel like straker is a human being you know and renfield he is human, but he's so monstrous. Like the way he is portrayed, he doesn't—he doesn't have. I feel like a a life, you know. He he has completely devoted his life to Dracula, and I feel like Straker, like he is a character that feels like a complete character, even though he is devoted to Dracula. I agree uh, with you. Dracula. You know,
1: yeah, Renfield is very cartoonish with the spiders yeah. and the like, silly like. Um, old-timey insanity portrayal. Yeah. Um, but did you see Renfield?
2: I did see Renfield, and I, I thought it was fun. I mm. love Nicholas Holt, and I love a good <laughs> yeah, sweater right. on a beautiful man, so that was fun. <laughs> yes. And I love arms ripped off, so...
1: There was a <laughs> yeah. talking amount of gore and poop.
2: I know, and I was here <laughs> yeah. for it. I was like, yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> uh, It was fun. I wasn't bored for a second, and honestly, that's all I'm really asking from film. So. Okay. um So before we move on into, you know, other variations of the story i mean do we have any final thoughts on the novel are there any important um plots or characters that i'm missing
2: um okay well there's one so you said that bonnie that story is the one that stuck with you the one that has stuck with me is this uh young couple with their baby Mm -hmm. and um Mm -hmm. she gets pregnant in high school and uh gets stuck married to this guy and they cannot stand each other they live In um, pretty dire poverty. It sounds like she's miserable. There's a hint, there's not a hint. Like she abuses the baby and then the baby dies. And it is, it's really upsetting. Um, But I also think two of maybe the scariest scenes King has ever written are in this book. And it is the scene where um, Danny and uh, his brother are walking home through the dark and they think there's something behind him. And the scene where Matt and Susan are sitting in his kitchen. And Mike Ryerson is asleep upstairs, or no, he was asleep the night before, but he's like, I hear something upstairs. I know my house. I know what board that was. And he walks upstairs and he has a heart attack. And those scenes are nightmare fuel. They are terrifying because of what you don't see. And it is just masterful
3: horror
1: writing. Oh, it's so spooky. Mm -hmm. And it's so gothic. And it's so um, small town moody in a way that i'm always kind of looking for and i think it's because of stephen king
2: Absolutely. on some it's just, level like the perfect october book too that's oh it's really. such
1: a good october book mm-hmm. um i just saw like the perfect october movie and i don't think enough people are talking about it have you seen cobweb yet
2: i was wondering if that's what you're gonna say <laughs> yes i did see cobweb and i loved it
1: holy shit
2: oh my god i'm a huge Anthony star fan too and he's so good in this and yeah like why did they release this in July?
1: <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's very Halloween resurrection of them. I don't know yes. why they did yeah. it. I'm hoping um, people will discover it in October. Oh, it's so and like there's they just have like these big rotting carcasses of pumpkins in their backyard mm-hmm. for no reason, and it's just gorgeous. It's I love awesome. that movie. I love perfect it too. perfect October nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so if it's great with you, let's move on quickly into the mini series because. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating. I rewatched mm-hmm. it today. It's on my mind. So the miniseries came out in 1979. It was a two-parter directed by a horror icon Toby Hooper, the director of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is like a very interesting choice for this film. But that actually, I think, was just five years or so before this. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense timing-wise. Mm-hmm. They made this for about $4 million, and it aired on CBS. It starred David Soule and James Mason. It was pretty well received. I think it got like um, a bunch of primetime Emmy nominations for makeup, title, and music. Um, How did we feel about this miniseries? And when did we first encounter it? I'll start with you.
2: Well, I first first encountered it um, when I began really actively engaging in the horror community and talking about Stephen King. Um, because there are some iconic scenes in this miniseries. Um, I first watched it on Friday. I had not seen the whole thing all the way through. Oh, Until shit. then, I swear I thought it was John Voight who was playing Ben Mears, this blonde <laughs> hair. I just have Midnight Cowboy John Voight in my mm. head, you know, mm-hmm. or maybe Deliverance John Voight, um, but it's not. It's like the, the um, I don't know, the John Voight we have at home who starts in it. And it's fine. I think so. I first like actually watched the whole thing um, over the course of this weekend. And I found it, I I was in, I was into it. I thought it did some interesting things. Um, And I think Toby Hooper's eye here brings a level of like, um, I don't know, revulsion horror that I really like. I think it kind of dirties up the story and adds a little grit to it, you know? Uh, In Mm -hmm. a way that I don't think a lot of television, especially at that time, would have been able to do.
1: Yeah, it is very 70s. Like, it's just so aggressively 70s. And,
3: um,
1: you know, I like to joke that I believe culture sort of began in 1978 with halloween and everything before that was just like the void of space and i don't believe that it exists yeah and um as i get older the less i actually feel that and i can sort of open my heart up to things that are a little bit more vintage but it's just so funny how like we were so comfortable putting old men on screen back then in a way that we won't do anymore just like old grizzled Men. Yeah. And um, the changeling. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, And I kind of respect it, but it's so funny how, like, yeah, this is just like a bunch of tough, old, unattractive dudes. And I, it's so funny. And the women are um, so mousy. (laughs) Like, it's just. It's so 70s and and funny. Oh, my God. And Fred Willard is there. He's the character that we were talking about earlier that gets um, the gun pointed at him. Mm -hmm. And that was so funny to see. Uh, But there are some really effective moments. There's that, like, really famous moment of the Glick Boy sort of floating at mm-hmm. the window, there's the scene that I remember being a lot scarier, where Barlow bursts into the kitchen and then like smacks their head like coconuts, which yeah. in the book is scary, but yes. in the series it's so bad. Oh, I know.
2: It's like please don't actually hurt yourselves when you are bought- going as close <laughs> yeah. as possibly can. Um,
1: I, I that remember it the- is
2: terrifying <laughs> in the book, though.
1: In the book, I was like, oh, their heads exploded, and then yeah. the movie, that's like, mm-hmm. and then it's not very scary. But Barlow's beautiful like barlow looks terrifying and real so yeah
2: i think of the 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 things that have lasted with this miniseries are the look of the marston house like the interior of it is so gross and like you expect it it feels like a fancy version of the texas chainsaw massacre house you know you totally smell it um and oh sorry that's okay um, and then also there's Danny Glick at the window with all of the smoke behind him, which mm. is so creepy. And then there's the look of Barlow. And I think those are the enduring things. And, you know, I, it was inspired by Max Schreck's uh, Nosferatu, But it also, I think, has gone on to also inspire vampire design, too. Like if you look at The Last Voyage of the Demeter, oh, yeah. it, there's a, a lot of nods to, I think, Toby Hooper's Salem's Lot in the design of Dracula there, too.
1: Yeah, definitely. It, it's pretty iconic. It's, you know, for three hours long, I don't find it boring at all. Yeah, sure. And that's really important to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a little bit dated and it's just like, um, yeah, it, like this, when I was rewatching it recently, I was like, wow. I don't always get excited at the idea of like a reboot or a remake, but just like with it a few years ago, like I feel like this is one that we could really use. Mm -hmm. You know, we never had a big, like, theatrical it before, even though the miniseries is so strong. And I kind of think that there's such a strong parallel between what happened there and what could happen here with with Salem's Lot. Mm -hmm. Um, But that said, there are other iterations before we get into the upcoming film that I know you probably have a little bit more insight into. Mm -hmm. There was a sequel film in 19, I think, I think, 87, called A Return to Salem's Lot that everybody really hates. But I also discovered recently had its world premiere at the Cannes Film Festival, which is so funny. Whoa. Like, maybe they were less prestigious in the 80s. I don't know what's happening.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, I (laughs) I don't know. know. Stephen King's name carries a lot of weight in very strange directions. Yes. You know? Um, Yeah. That, I have not seen Return to Salem's Lot, although... We have the Losers Club, we have an episode um, and we have some defenders of it because I do uh think it is I don't know if I would call it so bad it's good. But there's a lot of um, very interesting gems to mine in that. So if you want to hear a defense of Return to Salem Slot, check out that episode.
1: (laughs) I would. And I think, again, this was us talking offline, but I'm like a little bit obsessed with Lost stephen king adaptations that people just don't give a shit about like mm-hmm. we're about to talk about the 2004 miniseries but you know what returns to salem's lot it's a big one the the trilogy of sometimes they come back like there are three of those
3: yes what and the i fuck?
2: loved them they were on usa all the time when i was a kid yeah. their titles are gold it's like sometimes they come back again sometimes they come back for more it's just
1: <laughs> it's great so good. it's
2: like elaine Shouting like top of the muffin to you in
3: a <laughs> <top> of-
1: <laughs> I just remember the second one Which I think was direct to video but I don't know And I remember like the wall of horror VHS's at the video mm-hmm. store That you have to like really prep yourself To turn it over to like see the scary stuff On the back and the back Art of sometimes they come back Again I think My head mm-hmm. into the outer space So
2: Man, Isn't it so funny those VHS ones you remember Because like I looked at What is it? Dead Alive. The one where Mm -hmm. he's like pulling the mouth open. Yeah. That's fucked. That and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I remember looking at her on the hook and like just staring at it and trying to wrap my brain around what was going to happen in this movie. And for years, like I didn't watch that until I was an adult because I was so scared by that VHS cover.
1: That movie's fucking scary it <laughs>
2: is. is it really so is scary. It is a masterpiece but also terrifying
1: you know what else was like a classic don't turn over the vhs it's too scary was the mutilator or just mutilator
2: oh Do you yeah remember that that's one, one that, that's the one with the <sighs> little boy right and then...
1: no no it's an other lady hanging on a hook
2: oh 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 <laughs> yes 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 mm-hmm. yeah
1: and i think yeah. the, the tagline is like by hook by axe by pick bye bye
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god Okay, well my other one is Pet Cemetery Two. Um, <sighs> the drill and the no brain, no pain. I was like, oh my god, this is gonna be too much for me. I can't watch it.
1: Justice for Pet Cemetery Two. Oh my
2: gosh, yes. Other than that, mashed potato scene. Yes, that I don't remember the mashed potato, potato, potato scene, remind me. Oh, he spits mashed potatoes out. That's my no. I just spit out food. I cannot handle oh. it.
1: That'd yeah, yuck. So <laughs> food is not to be played with. Exactly.
2: Um, <laughs> that was a rule to live by <laughs>
1: right, right um okay i haven't seen this 2004 miniseries um my note says jen takes the lead here so
2: <laughs> okay i'm throwing to you <laughs> all right yes i have seen it um i mm. watch i remember being excited about this um because i had read the book um and at this point and loved the book and i was very much in my um i read the book and this is how it happens in the book phase of my life. I've yeah. since like relaxed and I'm, I, I'm often very delighted when an adaptation goes a different direction than the source material but back then I was like, that's not my film. But oh. anyways, I was very excited about this. I was a heavy TNT watcher at the time because <laughs> they had all those SVU reruns Um, This was the era of TiVo. This was the era of me. uh, Sorry, this is more just about me and Mm. the miniseries. But yeah, I was dating this guy. And I remember I got like uh, one of our dates was to watch this on my TiVo. And I think it was that night or pretty soon after. I just was like, "Mm, this isn't going to work out. Um, But we were supposed to watch the second episode. (laughs) And I just kept putting him off and putting him off and putting him off. And finally, like, I think I didn't watch the second episode for like, a month later <laughs> because i
1: was like I don't I the that. baggage
2: i know yeah, yeah but then i did finally watch it and it, it is interesting i think it's got some strengths um so, wait. wait, wait.
1: How, did, how did the breakup go though
2: um well okay so first of all like we had never actually committed so mm-hmm. we didn't mm-hmm. actually have to break up sure uh, i did not ghost him for the record mm-hmm. um but i just kept kind of Putting it off and was like, "Mm, I don't think. Like he eventually just kind of read the writing on the wall, and uh, I think watched Salem's Lot by himself. When we finally (laughs) both admitted that we had watched the second episode, I think that's when we realized the relationship was never gonna
1: never. Wow, I like that. That's strong. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, interesting. So, so yeah how how does it stack up?
2: Um, you know, it's it's like you said, it's a forgotten adaptation. I think. Um, A lot of it because of the the TNT-ness of it. You know, it's 2004. It's before we really got to the golden age of television. It's kind of right before. um, But they put a lot of money into this. Mm -hmm. um, And it's very well cast. I think that is the strength. It was um, was a two-part miniseries debuted on June 20th, and the second episode ran um, June 21st, although not in my house. It was weeks after. (laughs) Um, But the casting, I think, is the strongest part of this, and this is still um, what I picture these characters as, a lot of these characters as, when I read the book. So we've got Rob Lowe as Ben Mears, which I think is good. I think that makes that character interesting, although I still see John Boyd in my head. Oh. Um, it's got Samantha Mathis as Susan Norton. And like the book, I think those two are the least interesting.
1: Who is Samantha Mathis? Do I, Samantha do I... Mathis
2: is um, Patrick Bateman's side piece in um, American Psycho. And also oh. so the volume. She, she was in Under oh. the Dome. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, going kind to of fame. She's also uh, in the new Pet Cemetery Bloodline. So she's got a little uh, bit of teen cred, too. But yeah, beautiful. you would, she's one of those you would recognize her. If you for saw. sure. Um, she's Susan Norton, um, but okay, so as Barlow, oh, sorry, I'm gonna go to Straker first, so Donald Sutherland is Richard Straker, which I love, Uh, exactly, yeah, yeah, and Rugger Hauer is Kurt Barlow, so like, dream casting for these two roles, yes, and Rugger Hauer is one of those, like, he carries this aura of menace with him. So just hearing that he was cast as Barlow is like, oh, this is scary, you know? Are
1: you aware of like what happened with him on set? The infamous?
2: (laughs) Yeah, not, did you read that quote from Rob Lowe about his monologue? Can you you tell us about that? Well, I watched uh, St. Almost Fire. I was a Mm. big fan of that movie, although I don't think it's held up so well. I also didn't totally understand what was happening in it. Um, but that's when I found him. It's kind of adjacent to the Brat Pack. Um, but Parks and Rec and West Wing is when I really fell in love with him. Like, oh, I love And him. that love... time he
1: hosted the Oscars with Snow White.
2: Yes, yes. I just love that he uh, will just do anything. <laughs> he'll, you say know? Yes. And
1: he'll say yes. He'll say yes.
2: He will say yes. And I love that he kind of, I feel like he'll make fun of himself. And he doesn't take himself too seriously. 100%. You know? Like anybody who plays Chris Traeger, I think. Can't take yourself too seriously. Okay, so here is the the quote. Uh, oh, sorry, I thought I had it. Now here Kick it is. Okay, uh, so <laughs> Lowe said, "I once starred in a big miniseries that culminated with the villain giving a two-page monologue trying to goad me into killing him." The actor playing the bad guy wanted to ad-lib his own version of the movie-ending speech. So the actor is obviously Red Gerhauer. Uh, um, which is giving me a little bit of Marlon Brando on Superman vibes. Like, <laughs> I don't need to memorize my lines. Uh,
3: mm-hmm.
2: Don't you know who I am? Um, although I love Roger Gerhauer. I would never besmirch him. Um, okay, back to the quote. Although he was playing a vampire, <laughs> not really trying to... Hide yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he went on a soliloquy about being a cowboy. The director was not impressed. After a very tense negotiation, the actor was forced to shit-can his self-penned opus and stick to the original script. There was only one problem. He hadn't bothered to learn it. Lowe went on to state that cue cards were placed next to his head, and Howard read the lines to him. Which, just... What What
1: a lunatic. I I celebrate it. Celebrate (laughs) the lunacy right there. I
2: do, too. And he's great in this. I think he... uh, You know, it's hard for... I think Gregor Hauer to be bad in anything because he's just amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think he's pretty good in this role. And I think that is just dream casting for those. But here's where the best casting of this miniseries, I think, is James Cromwell as Father Callahan.
1: Super good, yeah.
2: Exactly. Like I picture, and that's one of the things I do not like about the original miniseries is a lot of the casting of the side characters I don't like. Like, he's this tall, menacing character. It's like he's bringing a lot of his um, L.A. Confidential vibes to it, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's what I see. I always see him as Father Callahan. And we also have Andre Brower as Matt Burke, which I also think is perfect for that role. Huge fan Mm -hmm. of Andre Brower. Have you watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine?
1: Oh, of course. It's, he's so
2: fantastic in that job. Yeah. One thing that is interesting about the 2004 is it makes some interesting changes to the subject material um, or to the source material. Um, so we have, uh, there is no Miranda, unless I'm forgetting something, there is no Miranda. So he is brought back to the house. He did not see, as a child, Ben, I'm talking about. Sorry, mm-hmm. I'm talking in circles. Ben did not see Hubie hanging from the banister he saw one of Hubie's um, child murders. And so earlier oh. I was talking about how they, they hinted at some kind of pedophilia murdering thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and we see like a child in the bathtub, like like it, fetal position. It's, it's a little upsetting. Although, yeah. you know, TNT level, like darkness, you know? Um, but so that, and Ben hears this voice as a kid and does not go save him. And so this guilt. For not saving this child. Has been haunting him the whole time. And oh. so that is what's drawn him back. And I wonder if they. I don't know. We're just trying to update the story a little bit. It feels kind of like an unnecessary change.
1: Um, no I like it. Because like why are you back in town? Because the house is haunted. Like yeah. I like that. But like it's pretty nonsense.
2: <laughs> exactly yeah. You want to write a book about this this town. It's It's very like. I don't know, Jack wanting to write about the Overlook, except he was already at the Overlook and that's why, you know, but Ben just kind of remembers this thing. But another really interesting thing, change that they make um, is with uh, the wraparound. So they don't go to Mexico. Uh, the beginning and end of Salem's Lot starts the novel and the old miniseries starts with um, the survivors who I will not name to not spoil a what 40-year-old book um Mm -hmm. they have escaped to mexico and they're remembering the horrors they've seen and they go back to salem's lot and the whole story is told through a flashback so the 2004 is that and it starts with ben mears attacking uh, father callahan in a homeless shelter in detroit on thanksgiving so that's how it starts there's a whole hospital scene there's um matt burke in peril in the hospital but what's interesting about this is how it relates to The Dark Tower. Now, are you a Dark Tower, head. Have you read any Wait, of The Dark Tower?
1: I haven't read it yet. I'm very familiar with it, but yeah. I'm just, like, intimidated.
2: I don't love The Dark Tower. Oh, I,
1: whoa. Is,
2: I know, blasphemy in this Blew scene. my mind. I am glad I have read them all, and I'm glad I've read them all, and I love the ending. Um, But, like, on The Losers Club, I am one of I, I don't volunteer for The Dark Tower episodes because... We have a lot of people who are really into it. I'm just not a big fantasy fan. Anyways.
3: Mm -hmm. Me too.
2: So I'm not going to say too much about this that's going to spoil anything because this would be a major spoiler. But Wolves of the Cala," which is the Dark Tower 5 novel, was released in November 2003. And there is a connection to uh, a homeless shelter, and fa- i'm sorry an unhoused shelter i should say now mm-hmm. um and father callahan and i think that's a really interesting change to make with this coming out in 2004 i don't know how intentional it was but it does not feel like a coincidence to cool. me
1: cool i oh i love like that kind of shit in the king verse oh and, yeah
2: and then callahan a in really a city fun example of it too Didn't, so. did
1: callahan like become a Vampire and go to New York in the book, or did I make that? He up? He
2: does, yeah. That, that's what happens in in uh, in uh, um, <laughs> yeah Wolves of the Cala He um, reappears in the uh-huh. story, and he is a, and he is like helping or dealing with unhoused people and living in a, in a shelter in New York City. And just I that doesn't that feel too close to be a coincidence for them to make? No, that that that's thing? for sure real. That's yeah.
1: And I love that. Okay, I fascinating. Just do. I think it's interesting. I watch it.
2: I did not like that when I first watched it. I was like, what are they doing? This is weird. But now that I've read Wolves of the Cala, which I will say is my third favorite Dark Tower book. So, oh,
1: I I've tried The Gunslinger like 5 times and 5 times I have put it down.
2: I don't like The Gunslinger. Um if you listen to the audiobook, it will keep going even if you lose interest. <laughs> But it's kind I'll of say,
1: the whole thesis of The Dark Tower. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> well, it about. is,
2: but I will say the second <laughs> book is my favorite. Like, the drawing of the three, I've never been more surprised by how much I loved it. I
1: just want it to be though. scary. When is it going to get scary?
2: It's um, it's more action scary Ugh, in the second ew. one, but the whole thing is not really super scary. Just
1: but just I like the Lovecrafty stuff. Like, uh, the idea of the Crimson King seems cool. Um, yeah, that
2: is cool. Have you read Insomnia?
1: No, but I'm I'm aware that there's a crossover there's there.
2: A, yeah, there's a crossover there. The the was oh, the
1: Crimson King that's the crossover with Insomnia. Um, I, th- I yeah. knew Dark yeah. Tower. I didn't know it was Crimson M- Mister Mister Red Big Red.
2: Um yes. Uh and that, oh. yes, there's a Dark Tower reference with the Crimson King at the end of um, Insomnia, and it's one of the earliest references I think of the Crimson King, where we get some details too. So it's one of those things that King just kind of drops in, and you're like, "Oh, holy shit, this is a Dark Tower novel." Okay, now we're Hot. now we're on the But um, Wolves of the Cala, I love. It's got a little bit of Lovecrafty stuff. Um, there's a lot of that in the last three of them, um, but I cool. just get really lost in what's going on with the fantasy. I have a hard time wrapping fantasy
1: is boring. I recently, so, so, I mean, in my opinion, I recently read. What's the Eyes of the Dragon? Oh, Eyes of the like, Dragon,
2: yeah. So I was
1: like, okay. That's okay, fine.
2: Bronson Pinchot reads the audiobook, and that's what makes that good.
1: Okay. So I, I listened to that. that, and
2: it's not bad. Um, mm-hmm. If you're not a completist and you weren't that into The Gunslinger, I would say if you really want to give the Drawing of the Three a try because it's great. Um, okay. But if not, if you don't care about reading them all, then I would say don't worry about I will
1: it. We'll get there. Yeah. Will it be in 50 years from now? Probably, It'll, and that's okay. I celebrate that for me.
2: Absolutely. It'll call you um, when it's time, you know?
1: I'm but sorry for, for holding you hostage. But I do oh, yeah, love when he all. goes when he goes full of Lovecraft. I mm-hmm. just read Revival.
2: Oh, <laughs> oh so good. <laughs> the, the ending. Fuck the fuck. Mm-hmm.
1: I didn't yeah, the ending of Revival, everybody's gonna ruin your life. Oh um, yeah.
2: I read that on maternity leave.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. I know. That's oh, bad. That's so I love that. Good. It's like when I read The Jaunt. The first time I took Ooh. a plane by myself.
2: Oh gosh, that
1: was not good.
2: Did you get out and like?
1: Put I'm your still there. All white, and I'm <laughs> still I'm still on <laughs> that and plane. Car, still
2: in the middle. What if this yeah. whole thing was just like your life inside the John? <laughs> the-
1: I love the John. John's probably my favorite thing he's ever done.
2: It's one of the best short stories I think anyone's ever written. It's so good.
1: Um, and we have an episode on development Hill all about. Um, that movie slash tv show that what's going on okay i don't want to hold you hostage forever just (laughs) for partial forever so (laughs) if it's okay with you maybe we can jump in to what the fuck is going on with this movie
2: absolutely also please never apologize for talking to me longer about stephen king okay
1: i'll go forever i really will Oh, my God, it's an eternity in there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It is. It is. No, it is.
3: Oh, I love that.
1: I was excited back in 2019 when it was announced we were going to get, like, a big, puffy, theatrical adaptation of Salem's Lot. Mm -hmm. It felt very post the um, It films that we got in two parts that were sort of big popcorn movies. And they were like two of the most successful horror movies of all time. Also at Warner brothers slash new line. So it made a lot of sense when new line Warner brothers announced, they were going to do sort of the same thing with Salem's lot that had never actually had a theatrical movie. Mm -hmm. And they reported scratch that. And then the Hollywood reporter revealed that Gary Doberman was set to write the screenplay and that James Wan was going to produce. Doberman is known for writing It Chapter 2. We say that he also wrote It Chapter 1, but there was other creatives involved there that I think really helped things. Mm -hmm. He wrote all the Annabelle movies. He wrote uh, The Nun, and he directed Annabelle Comes Home, Um, And I have feelings about him as a creative, which we'll get to in just a second. But then in 2020, it was announced that he was going to direct as well. So this would be his second directorial effort after Annabelle comes home. Um, Fans of this podcast might remember he was also attached to make the Are You Afraid of the Dark movie that fell through the cracks. And I think that could have been interesting. Um, Let's talk about Gary for a second here. (laughs) I think he gets a lot of flack. And I think that it's kind of deserved in some cases but um i am an annabelle two and three apologist personally
2: i am too i love that there are parts of annabelle the original that i enjoy sure although i don't think it is a successful movie you know Mm -hmm. but there are Mm -hmm. some creepy sequences but yeah annabelle two and annabelle three and i believe i'm thinking ouija origin of evil that's mike flanagan Mm -hmm.
1: Um, but i get how you're bringing that in yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. i see Um, that
2: but i like annabelle comes home i think it's fun you know it's it's like a fun house spooky stuff around every corner kind of movie and i think it's very well executed um i have other thoughts about him as a writer you know i think there was a marked decline in it chapter one to it chapter two even though yeah. I do like it chapter two, I'm one of the defenders on it. Oh,
1: wow. Yeah. That, no, I respect it. It chapter two has some things going for it, but it yeah. certainly is no it chapter one. Absolutely. And I think the Carrie Fukunaga of it all, in my opinion, even though what do I know, um, <laughs> has a lot to do with that. And I we did an exactly episode right. Yeah. So I yeah. think he's kind of what brought that special spark to the first one. Mm-hmm. And I think Gary Dolverman is kinda, in my opinion, uh, I think maybe those movies succeed in spite of him. Maybe yes, yes, Um, I agree. Okay, (laughs) but you know, um, well, there's an
2: element of that in the Conjuring universe too that I feel like. Oh
1: yeah, he wrote the nun
2: amplified, and now I mean, I will excuse it with the nun because it's about a nun.
3: (laughs) Yeah, but like every
2: (laughs) Conjuring movie I watch, and I, you know, I'm saying this uh, to the universe, uh, larger uh, Mm -hmm. aside from him, but like it just keeps getting into this like. Christian good, evil, everything else
1: thing. Like, yeah. So boring. Did you see yeah. The Nun 2?
2: I did, yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I thought it was dumb and fun. I kind of equate it to The Meg 2. You know.
1: Okay, I'm dying to see The Meg 2. Personally, <laughs> Meg
2: too a giant octopus, so
1: I it's gotta it's see The Meg 2. I hated the Nun too. I'm so sorry. Oh, you did? Um, yeah, I just couldn't, but you know what? I respect you and your opinions, oh, well, you're was very cool.
2: I just like seeing uh, shit get on fire, and uh, I don't know. Okay. I need more hot I, people in it, though.
1: Oh, yeah, and, and like St- I'm Storm Reid very lovely, okay. very talented, but there's just no way that that girl wasn't alive during the 2008 financial crisis, so I just like. Absolutely,
2: believe. yes. Let's <laughs> worn a character in.
1: Yeah, like, um, that's, that, that's not the '50s <laughs> at no, all. No, um, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, so doberman I mm-hmm. think that he's like an interesting choice. I think that there is some red flags and some, I guess, green flags that make him someone that I'm very curious to see what he would do with this film. He was asked in an interview. If you would take the same approach to writing this film that he did with It Chapter One and It Chapter Two, um, do you have the outline? Because I'm, I kind of want to make you read it. Yeah, I do. Do you want to? Um, do you want to perform? Do you want to give us your best <laughs> Gary Doberman best impression? Gary Doberman,
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. In an interview, he was asked. Hold on. Take okay. your time. Um, Okay, so this is Gary Dauberman (laughs) saying I like to be as true to the story as I possibly can until it gets a little too unwieldy for a movie. I'm very very excited to be a part of that and to tackle it. It hasn't had the big screen treatment yet, which is how I felt about it. It's so fun to play around with vampires and make something truly scary. I haven't seen that in a long long time and I'm excited for people to see it.
1: Okay, Gary. (laughs) Work. Gary, work. Um, Sure, why not? Uh, in 2021, it was announced some of the cast came to light. So we've got Lewis Pullman, who um, people might remember as a character from Top Gun Maverick, which of oh, course I didn't see, but I hear he's it was so great. Old.
2: Yeah, and Bill Pullman's son also, who yes, very is important. the person I have a huge crush on. So.
1: Bill Pullman, not Bill Pullman's yeah, Bill son. Pullman. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that, Bill Bill <laughs>
2: Pullman's son, he's fine. I'm sure I'll he's probably cute. have a crush on him eventually.
1: Mm, he <laughs> seems like an interesting kind of like a safe choice for this in a way that I'm you know, yeah. like that's not shade like it seems like a good safe choice so he's I mean, gonna be
2: playing Ben mirrors too so like yeah
1: exactly that's why like,
2: like, <laughs> safer
1: safer safe yeah, yeah. Um, we also have Mackenzie Lee as Susan I don't really know much about her and William Sadler who's like a very famous character actor in an un <laughs> unreported role but like it's gonna be Barlow I think yeah are you familiar with Sadler
2: I was about to look him up. He's a guy
1: that I... is in stuff. Hold on. You think on. he's going to be Barlow? If they don't say. They I don't, don't say. want
2: him to be Barlow. I have hit. I've seen it reported that he might be Parkins Gillespie.
1: Oh, okay. So I'm. Which
2: I could inside see, out and upside down. But they out. haven't. Let's see if it says anything. Uh, I do not like him for Barlow. I...
1: Interesting. Okay, so I take it back. I, I'm full of. I'm full of. You know what?
2: <laughs> no, you're not. I mean, you're um, right.
1: you not. No, no, I am. You just don't know it yet. <laughs> um, so we've got a cast. We've got a bunch of people. They seem very um capable and lovely. Yeah. So they shot this film in September, I think, of 2021 in Boston. Uh, and And there were some cute set photos that we published on Dread Central. We got a cute little look at the build of the Marston's house. And it looks very gothic and lovely. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when everything was good and dandy. Come 2022, there were reports surfacing online of reshoots. And allegedly some of these... Okay, so this is all very alleged. I don't want to get sued. Like Gary Doberman. <laughs> yes. But we got some, at Dread Central, we got these, like, reports that there were these postings for crew for some, like, serious reshoots for this film mm-hmm. where no director was listed in, like, a very non-traditional way. So that, like, raised a bunch of flags for mm-hmm. us, but there just wasn't enough information on that to publish anything. So this is all very allegedly, alleged pie, but I find that very interesting now that it's been so delayed yeah um, there were reshoots uh, so that was confirmed by deadline um and they also pushed they announced that the date was pushed from September 9th to April 21st 2023 and so that's like a huge jump and the reasons were supposedly due to covid related delays in the post-production of it all mm-hmm. Um. In August of 2022, they reported that this film was taken off the calendar from April 21st, 2023 to just to be determined the next year and that it was, you know, still being blamed on post-production issues. Uh Then something really interesting happened. Evil Dead Rise, which was not even supposed to go into theaters. It was supposed to go directly on Max, um, took its slot. So it took the Salem's Lot slot of April 21st in 2023 and it did huge numbers it was a massive success i think partially because it was just so good
3: yeah
2: i
1: mean i liked
2: it i did too i loved it i thought it was fun
1: yeah um and then that was kind of it until about two weeks ago when i don't know this is another alleged thing i I think this is official but it could not be true where this alleged warner brothers slate of films surfaced online stating all of their upcoming films and it did list Salem's Lot as to be announced for 2024. Mm-hmm. So there's some hope there, but this is the same studio that completely scrapped a huge budgeted film Batgirl just like off the face of the planet.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: who's to say they couldn't do that to Salem's Lot? Um, Jen, what is going on? Oh, what?
2: I don't know. I mean, we have been following this um, at, down at Losers Club headquarters. Um, we've been following this production hell um, and we can't quite get a read on what exactly is happening because, like you said, like we've seen things get pushed back before, you know, and we've seen not-so-great remakes just kind of um, given to us, you know, I'm looking at Firestarter. Mm-hmm. Although there are 30 minutes of Firestarter that I will defend with my life. But, um, yeah, it's just <laughs> really, um, it's, it reeks of a lot of problems. And I blame Doberman for a lot of that. I don't know if I trust him to handle this story. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it got a little unwieldy. Like, even reading that quote, like, to say that nobody's been playing around with vampires, um, that, We've had a lot of vampire stuff recently. Also, mm-hmm. I don't want him to play around with vampires in this story. I want him to give me Salem's Lot. I am okay with some changes, but like the vampires for Salem's Lot are like only half the story. The other half is the town. And when I look at something like Annabelle Comes Home, which I loved, that is a very simple, very contained story. It is essentially house has lots of spooky shit in it, and um, there is this dad dead trauma you know um Mm -hmm. and i think he executes it very well but salem's lot is a lot more sprawling there are a lot more characters to keep track of there are a lot more things that you have to manage and i wonder if like this just kind of became a mess like i don't know how many people want to see a salem's lot inspired vampire story that doesn't look like salem's lot because that's just vampire movies you know, mm-hmm. Salem Lot has inspired so much of the modern vampire stuff that we have now that, like, what's going to separate this from any other vampire movie? I also think it is very um, troubling, I think, that we don't know or we haven't seen Barlow, you know, like your big villain. Like, I remember when It, chap- it was coming out and we saw, you know, Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise and we saw the makeup and we saw it like... That gets you excited about this. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think I if William Sadler is going to be um, Barlow, you know, I, I think he's a great actor. He's done a lot of King stuff. I think he can do it. And I think he'd be great. Um, but it just makes me really nervous that we haven't seen anything from it. And that reeks to me of massive structural problems that I don't know if simple reshoots can fix. You know?
1: Yeah. I, I agree with you totally. And if they do keep sort of ringing the alarm of post-production issues, uh-huh. like, is that like the CGI is bad? Like the villain looks bad. Like, what, is that? what yeah. does that mean?
2: Right. It, it means what do we have here? You know, mm-hmm. we've got this image that is on a King tie novel, which I think looks great. I think sure. this image of like the blue kind of cloudiness, it looks great, although it does look a lot like the stand, um, the oh, yeah, stand yeah. remake imagery, you know. Uh-oh.
3: Uh, yeah.
1: That to
2: say about <laughs> Uh-oh.
1: That.
2: Although I love that it's got a Scar's Garden in it.
1: Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I could
2: talk.
1: Wow, a lot of Scar's Garden King the, world.
2: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Another uh, another topic I could talk about for a <laughs> limited amount of time because I love that <laughs> I do like that this one has Spencer Treat Clark in it. Have you seen yes, that casting?
1: I did, I did. He's spooky. He is... Have you seen the remake of... Um...
2: The Town of Dread Sundown? Yes. Yes, yes, I have for him. Because I, he's an okay. OG crush for
1: me. Oh, really? <laughs> I love that for you. He's
2: an every I want. He's more so Spencer cute. Yeah, he's so sweet.
1: I, I lo- and I love that movie in a way. I and do too, yeah. He's so tragic with those... Those doe eyes, so
2: yeah, he's also in the Last House on the Left remake. I think. Oh my
1: god, that is right, another perfect character for him.
2: I I agree, yeah,
1: and um, a bit of a king crossover there because I'm pretty sure he's on King Ray's on record saying that that's like the best modern horror movie of all time or something.
2: It's it's either in the update or the original run of um, On Writing, I think, where he talks about that (laughs) being one of the. Best or scariest movies, which I mean, I don't disagree with him. I don't love that movie, uh, sure. but it's got some <laughs> moments, you know. We like work. a good head in the microwave, you
1: know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it had a really good cover of "Sweet Child of Mine" in the trailer. Mm. Um, I really recommend everyone looking that up because it's cool.
2: I'm gonna look that up because it's I have good. not seen that trailer.
1: Yeah, no. by a band taken by trees. It was a big mm-hmm. part of my undergraduate experience. Um. <laughs> Lots of red flags, yep. a lot of concern, a lot of um smoke where fire may be. Mm-hmm. So
2: I mean how can it not be fire, you know? <laughs>
1: it smells like fire for it sure. Mm-hmm. But don't we just want to have hope? <laughs> you I know? do want
2: to have hope. And you know, like I mentioned the Firestarter remake, which again, first 30 minutes, I love the first mm-hmm. thirty minutes of that movie. I will watch it. I had a fun time with the new Children of the Corn. You know, like, I did too. I weird. did
1: too. There's
2: a little redheaded girl that is starting shit and killing okay, people. Okay, she is I'm an happy. icon.
1: She did nothing wrong.
2: Yes, exactly. Like she's she's my queen. I love her.
1: I love her. <laughs> wow. Um, no, it's so hard to get someone to agree with me on that one. I'm oh glad I found no, yeah, you. I
2: will agree with you. I mean, that movie. It's not perfect. It's got some problems, but I oh, had yeah. a blast with it.
1: When oh. they bury all the adults. <laughs>
2: Like and I love how she's just like nonchalantly like leading this horse that's strangling the dude. Anyways, yes. Check that movie out. It's well wow. worth your time. Yeah. And, like, it's either going to be a big old mess or it's going to be great. Maybe it'll surprise us and it will be the next at chapter one. I don't think it will, but.
1: I'm begging for it to be. And I, I don't need yeah. a lot. To be happy, like you know, <laughs> I, I'm not that difficult of a customer. I just yeah. want Salem's lot.
2: Yeah, just give me give me some just fun vampires, give me, that, give me a town yeah. that knows darkness, and I'm happy. You know,
1: um, okay, I'm gonna bring something up, and if you haven't seen it, I'll feel bad. But, okay. um, there has been a new project in recent days, um, that I think really captures the horror of Salem's lot in a way. It's a TV show from.
2: I have not seen it, but I have heard it's so good, I didn't know it was vampires.
1: Okay, no, it's not. I'm not saying what it is. I'm not saying what it is. Okay, Um, But it's very Salem's Lot in its oeuvre and energy, and I'm gonna say it's maybe the scariest so, such a big thing to say, but maybe the scariest TV show I've ever seen. And Stephen King is obsessed with it.
2: Really? I did know that. That is why it's on my radar. And it's got Harold Perrineau in it, right? Yes! Yes! And I love! he's He will always be my Mercutio, and okay. I always want to like, scream, what? Whenever I see
1: <laughs> He's so iconic i got to interview him at dread central for five minutes and it was really um life-changing for me oh my
2: god i would die i love him but it
1: it is so good and so scary and so weird and it really captures the like small town stressful horror of salem's lot in a way that i don't think i've ever seen before
2: Ooh, okay and now how can i watch it because i now i'm really wanting to watch it
1: oh that's the tough thing so Mm -hmm. it's mgm plus whatever that
2: means
1: (laughs) um i think it might be on amazon prime though okay
2: oh i can i can let me see if i can just i'm
1: in canada though so what do i know oh are
2: you okay yeah yeah hello from canada hi i got really weird
1: no it's okay you cannot trust canadians okay
2: Hey, don't. y'all shouldn't trust Americans, honestly. Oh, no,
1: we don't. We don't.
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's part of you. Okay, I'll figure <laughs> out how to nerded. watch From. Because that, now, my like, I was interested in it because I've heard it's really good. I but couldn't
1: recommend it higher. It's like it, I, I, I'm ringing the From bell
2: It just all the time. skyrocketed up. Have you seen Marianne?
1: Okay, I haven't, but I'm very, very upset that I haven't, because it looks fucking scary.
2: It did. It, I really was terrified by it, too. It's also the director of Cobweb.
1: Did I know. It, so similar I vibes,
2: know. yeah. Okay, well, we're going to have to trade shows. Okay,
1: now. so we're going to have to trade off. <laughs> yeah. I, I 100% will watch Marianne. I've been It's. I've been desperately meaning to, and that's an easy one, because it's Newt flukes.
2: I've been dying to watch, uh, yeah, it's It's very accessible. I have been dying to watch From, so I'm
1: excited. You have to, that. I know, and it has such a stupid title, so like that doesn't yeah. work for it.
2: Yeah, I just tried um, to, to from watch or just yeah, watch Yeah, like, it. how do you
1: Google that? You can't. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, every once in a while I try to find our articles on it, and I'll just Google, like, Dread Central from, and it doesn't work. Ah,
2: uh, yeah, and you get every single article with the <laughs> job <laughs> like, in
1: it. <laughs> Google's like, shut the fuck up.
2: Right, they might as well have named it V or something. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, it's bad. It's like you, that the show oh, You. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. can you, like, as, like, a, a journalist, like, the SEO nonsense Mm -hmm. there really hurts my heart
2: oh i feel the same way about scream and the titles and i mean i could go on a whole soapbox the fact that they went from the wolverine
1: oh Oh, i i like when things go from the to not the i I like i like that actually but the fact that we went from scream 4 to scream to scream 6 i wake Uh up every day screaming yeah in a cold sweat i'm just Uh, like no um, it's real
2: no pun intended yeah we call it five cream
1: so, yeah, 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 yeah. I have, I have, I had really good suggestions for Scream Six that they didn't take, including ah. Scream Plus, which I really like. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Scream XR, like a an iPhone.
2: Ooh, ooh, I like that. What is the next? That game was a-, a, a Twitter comment here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, yeah. My suggestion so- for Scream Six was for Stu to be the murderer. They didn't
1: take. Oh, tips. that's so good. Okay, can I tell you my pitch for Scream Seven?
3: Yes. Please.
1: Okay, it's pretty like obvious, so I apologize, but I stand by it. So obviously, like it's the meta franchise. So let's take it into our world where the all of the actors that have been in Scream movies are starting to get targeted and get killed one by one, and we can have another Drew Barrymore opening kill.
2: Oh my god, I would watch that in a hearty yeah. Are you sure you don't awesome. hate it? No, I, it. I love it. Because it's like three, but like more, you know and three is, you know it's not all bad, there's a lot of great stuff in there right? I'm even, those bangs are even growing on me, you know
1: I mean, Scream 3, I love Scream 3 I literally watched Scream 3 like two days ago.
2: It's such a great like background hangover movie You know? Oh
1: for sure, it's the most comforting least frightening movie ever made and I love it so much.
2: And the ending is perfect that is that is Sydney's ending forever
1: for me. I mean, like, what what is even happening in that ending? But I do love it. I yeah. love it. You know, oh, it so good
2: the door, I would cry.
1: Um, so Sorry. that is all... Salem's all Lot. <laughs> Salem's Lot. That is all the information I personally have found on Salem's Lot 2020 question mark. Hopefully okay. 2024. So I'm going to take us into conclusions territory. And I'm going to ask you, because you are... You know, you're Hollywood, you're in charge You're an executive Are we going to see Salem's Lot In 2024?
2: Um, I, yes I think that we will I think that King is too valuable of a name And it is too valuable Valuable of a property For us not to see it Um,
1: Is it as valuable as Batgirl?
2: um, I think it might be I mean, I don't (laughs) know I'm a bad, like For me, who likes horror and doesn't so much about comics although i do like girls and um, yeah then being i mean by.
1: luckily the word girl isn't in this title so maybe That's that'll tricky. help things
2: salem's lock girl they're, they're i would watch salem's lock girl immediately i would too but you know they would never give it to us they no no no, 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 no. but yeah i and i have heard rumblings um that they are still tinkering with some things and that the uh 2024 october i think is
3: that's service. so far.
2: I know. <laughs> hey, which leaves them plenty of time to get their shit together and give us a get gathering. it
1: to fucking together, people.
2: Right. One job. I need right? this
1: movie. I need more King. We go through these ebbs and flows mm-hmm. of King, like the- like movie eras, and I want to be back in it. I so. do.
2: I want the good ones.
1: Uh, yeah, I do too. Um, do you think it's gonna be good? Like, do you think the quality is gonna be there?
2: I think it will look very good. I think it's going to look like a big budget movie. I think it's going to look like a Conjuring Universe movie, for better or worse. You know, like they've got some good imagery going for them, but I think sometimes that's a little shallow. And that's what I worry about is that it's going to be monster heavy and not character heavy. You
1: know, I would have to agree with you on that. Um, And on that very um, disturbing note, Jen, Jen, where can you be found online if you so wanted to be found?
2: <laughs> well, if you want to hear me talk about Stephen King um, for many, many, many more hours, um, you can check out the Losers Club podcast. I'm one of the co-hosts there. Um, and we are just talking about all kinds of Stephen King. We have Hollywood King epi- episodes where we do updates for the various rumblings that we're hearing. Um, you can also find me at Jen Ferratu on various social media platforms. can find me co-hosting um also the girls on the boys podcast which is about the boys and writing for dread central i have a column about killer women and uh yeah just follow me and i'll post it all
1: you heard her you have to do it okay well (laughs) jen it was so cool and fun talking with you today Um, (laughs) don't go anywhere i'm gonna hit stop let's see what happens Thank you so much for listening to Development Hell. If you enjoy this podcast, then please do us a major favor of leaving us five stars and writing a positive review. It really makes all the difference in the world. We'll see you next week with a brand new episode of Development Hell.
3: Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.